Well, that was a great time of uh, worshiping our God in music and prayer and praise. By the way, welcome back to the choir, too. We're glad to have you back. Are we back, glad to have them back? Yes, we are. Thank you. They were uh, helping us out in the congregation during the summer, but uh, it's always good to have their cherubic, smiling, praising faces on the platform, helping us to worship our great God together. Well, today is about vision. It's about receiving our new marching orders from the Lord as we uh, look at this as the start of the church year. This is the January 1st of ministry. This is uh, each year as it rolls around. And I'm praying that God will unstop our ears so that we will hear the call of God that he has for us, for Calvary Baptist Church, 2010, 2011, at least. I believe that God has been extraordinarily active in our midst in this past year. It's been great that uh, we have seen God work in hearts and change lives. I believe God is up to something, and I just want to know that I am chasing hard after him and, and that we all are. I believe he's led us to a slogan that um, encapsulates the, uh, the message to us in 2010-11. And uh, Don, this is going to be uh, our theme for this year. I was reading um, this summer and I came across this quote that was, uh, is actually by Henry Blackaby. I was reading a different book and it quoted from Experiencing God. You cannot go with God and stay where you are. And I was what? what? You can't? That was a really um, eye-opening moment for me as I read that and thought about it, to wrestle with it personally and as a church. Um, I believe that, that this encapsulates what we are to get right in our lives and surrender to as we, as we look into this year that God has for us. I, I've got to be honest with you, and maybe you would join with me, that, that this slogan, this theme, this truth... Because I believe it's true, not of the Bible, but it's, it's actually Bible truth. This has probably, this statement is probably the hardest thing that I've ever had to wrestle with in my own personal life. And the, the, the truth of this statement has been, has presented in my life the hardest challenges. Uh, many of you know um, my background. I grew up in a cozy, comfortable Norman Rockwell kind of setting. And I liked it very much, thank you. Surrounded by family, multi-generations of family. We just were always raising up, doing our thing, going to church together. I had a big dream in my heart that I'd just stay there and, and, and uh, I would raise my family and my family would raise their family and, and, and they'd look after me in my old age and they'd all be around me and all of that. That's, that's what I thought. And, and, and that's how I thought life was supposed to be. I, I've got to be honest with you, I'm, I'm hardwired to be different than that, I, I believe, uh, I, I've always said you cannot go with God, and, 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 and is it true that, that I'd rather stay where I am? I'd rather go with God and, and stay where I am or where I want to be. I, I like predictability, I, I like the comfortable the nature of the, the Norman Rockwell setting, I like the, the idea that you sort of know how things are, nothing really changes all that much, it's sort of guaranteed success. It's stable, but for some reason, God decided to stir up my life, and he's done that in your lives as well. I know that. If he hasn't, he will, and he continues to do that. He stirs up our lives. He messes up our comfort, 
He messes up our comfort because he doesn't want us to get complacent. Because if we get complacent, it will lead to us becoming casual. And if we get casual, it won't be long till we're a casualty. So God is constantly messing up our lives, stirring up our lives, uh, stirring up any possibilities that we might be getting comfortable. At least that's what I've found. And I've found the truth of this statement that you cannot go with God and stay where you are. It's not my story alone. It's the story of everyone, really. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 52 this morning. Because I want to uh, point out to you that uh, in saying that it's not only my story, but it's the story of all of God's people, the prophet Isaiah wrote during a time when the people of God were in exile. They had become so in love with themselves and their sin that they had pushed God out of their lives. That's the problem with comfortable. The problem with casual. The problem with complacency is ultimately God becomes a casualty in your life. You push him out of your life. And they had pushed God out of their lives. Their sin and their self-centeredness had separated them, not only from God, but once that happens, from the mission that he had given to them to be a light to the nations. That's always been the responsibility of the people of God, to go and tell of the greatness of God. That's always been the mission. That's always been our employment. That's always been who we are to be. That's always been our identity. Go and tell people of the greatness of the God you have found. And if you become so full of yourself and ultimately become sinful, you become separated from God and separated from that mission. And so um, at the time Isaiah was writing, the people of God had become spiritually childless. They were not reproducing themselves. And God was greatly distressed. In fact, he separated from them. He didn't divorce them because God will not do that. But he did separate himself from them. And the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 1 through 3, calls them back to an awakening. He says, awake. Awake, O Zion. Clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor. O Jerusalem, the holy city. The uncircumcised and defiled will not enter you again. Shake off your dust. Rise up. Sit enthroned, O Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains on your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For this is what the Lord says. You were sold for nothing, and without money you will be redeemed. And then he vaults the people of God 800 years forward into the future, declaring the glory of the passion of the promised Messiah in Isaiah chapter 53, a text that is also familiar to us. It is the text that, that talks about the passion of our Savior who went to the cross for us and willingly paid the price of our sins. We read things in that text like he went to the cross and died for our transgressions, verse 5, for our iniquities. Uh, he, he brought us peace, the punishment that was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. 
God had laid, the Father had laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. The message of the prophet Isaiah was to the people of God, awake, awake, rise up, get ready, you're going to be redeemed. And then in Isaiah 53, he vaults it forward 800 years with this prophecy of the Messiah who would come and and save us. And he calls out to them in Isaiah 53, the Redeemer's work is done. They will be redeemed and brought back from sin and self. And they will be um, bringers of good news. In Isaiah 52, verse 7, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace. That's who God's people are to be. We are called to be those who bring forth good news. We, we are those who, what, what, as, as we move ourselves out into our region and, and they see us coming, they should see, this is a good news bearer. Oh, there come the ones who are bringing good news. What have you to say to us today? I bring you good news today. Jesus Christ has died for you and has made it possible for you to have your sins forgiven and be in relationship with the Father in heaven. I bring you good news. Blessed are those on the mountaintops whose feet bring good news. Shout it from the mountaintops, Isaiah says. And then in in, in Isaiah 54, there's a transition. In light of the fact that the Redeemer's work is done, He writes something for us here. He calls forth something, promises forth something, gives us a cause to do something. In Isaiah 54, verse 1, he says, Sing, sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song. Shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid. You will not suffer shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker... Is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back. What a great prophecy. Father, as we pause now to consider the call of God on our lives and what the Father is is speaking forth from glory this morning, the, the urgent call. Would you give us ears to hear, Lord? As this call goes out throughout all the land, there are some who hear it. Many do not. Lord, would you count us among those who would hear? Unstop our ears? Would you soften our stubborn hearts? And would you cause a folded arms to come unfolded that we might open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit and His work personally and as a faith community, as a community that loves God. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Isaiah is calling out in his prophecy that it is time to awake, to awake. The Messiah has redeemed you. The question goes forward, what should we do about this? What's next? The Redeemer's work is done. And the prophet calls out, God calls out, prepare for great increase. It says in the text here that, that this transition takes place. It's the, it's the dawn of the new age that he has in, in his vision. It's the dawn of the new age in sight when God's people will, will go to all the nations and, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reason I know that is because the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 27 uh, uses this text to push forth the mission to the Gentile world. I think as you see here, it talks about the barren woman. The woman is born no child. The the, the urgency, the passion that's on the heart of of the prophet, on the heart of God is that the people of God have been bearing no children. They, not physical children. They've been having physical children. But they have not been, been increasing the family of God. They've not been reaching out to the nations. And God pictures himself as the husband. I, I married you, he says, that we might have children. And you're not even ashamed in the ancient culture, of course, to, to be childless. It was a great shame. There was great distress. It was great disgrace to that. And his point to them is, you're not distressed, you're not ashamed, you're not disgraced, you're not bearing children. He says there's coming a day, and he's calling forth in prophecy that, that, that they will sing, and those who've never born will burst into song and shout for joy. Those who were never in labor, because more, listen, more are the children of the desolate woman, in other words, the woman that never had a husband... The Gentile nations. Then of her who has a husband. The, the picture here is, is that, that yes, God's people, Israel, will rise up and they will, they will be a mission enterprise because salvation came from the Jews. Jesus Christ was to come and, and to raise up a, a people who would follow after him. But that people who would follow after the, the, the vision to the Gentiles would be more expansive and would reach even more than the people of God of the Old Testament. And so I believe that God is calling Calvary Baptist Church to this text, Isaiah 54. I believe this with all of my heart. You see, what we have here is is the promise and prophecy that that was uh, from the very beginning. In, In Genesis chapter 28... In Genesis chapter 28, there is that great vision of the stairway, of, stairway to heaven. You know, Jacob's uh, dream that he has. Um, a few uh, weeks ago, I was um, interacting with, um, with one of our ministry partners who we love, uh, Pastor Benan Kanutkin, and, uh, pastor in Istanbul, Turkey. And, and uh, he was... Uh, he was actually congratulating you, Graydon and Sarah, for your marriage. And he says, he, he says to me, he writes to me, may they be blessed like Jacob. And I was thinking, well, thank you, Benan. That means I'm going to have about 12 grandchildren. <laughs> and I know that would bless Sarah's heart as well. And, and so I was thinking, um, I, I need to make some room. I, 
I need to buy a 12-seater van or something. Because when Ben-On is blessing the, your marriage, that it might be blessed like Jacob, he's actually giving the vision from Genesis chapter 28 of this stairway to heaven. And Jacob, there's sort of a double entendre. Jacob was uh, fruitful and bore many children. But, but the vision, if you can see it in, in, um, in the stairway to heaven, it says here, there above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. We sing that chorus, shout to the east and the west, shout to the north and the south. That's the vision of the stairway to heaven, the call, the mission call, the evangelism call, the call on God's people to, to expand your horizons, to look out. God is an expansive God. God is claiming all of the world is his. All the offspring, all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and through your offspring. So this is the promise that is set before them. Now, you need to know that before God acts on his promise, he is always looking for a people of action who will reflect faith and believe what he says will be true, will be true. And so the prophet here says, sing. Now, in the ancient culture, a barren woman wouldn't be inclined to sing. She'd be inclined to be sorrowful and distressed. Why is he calling her to sing? He's calling her to sing because she will not be barren anymore. She will not be childless anymore. God is making a promise. And so he says, in light of what I am promising you, I am promising you many descendants, many spiritual children. So sing, shout for joy, celebrate what God is going to do. Shed the shame of your estrangement from God. Make room for descendants, spiritual children, orphans, the wayward, the lonely, the in bondage, the beaten, the bruised, the battered, the ignorant, the broken. Have you not heard? Do you not know? No, they don't. No, they have not heard. And so he says to them, the first thing you must do is sing and shout and celebrate. It was good to do that together this morning. Set the right tone. We're in the right place. We're in the right attitude. We sing even if our hearts are broken. We sing even if our, our, our immediate plans are not coming together. Why? Because we have a great God who plans to prosper us and not to harm us. And so I want to share with you very quickly this morning that there are four striking imperatives in this text that really are for the people of God. Expectations, by the way, of those who are redeemed. Uh, this is not rocket science. Uh, this is what's really normal. If you are a child of God, when you come into the kingdom of God, what you're being called to do here, what God's people are being called to do is really normal. This is not extraordinary. This vision is not, uh, not one of extreme, uh, uh, extreme bizarre nature. The, the vision that God has is, is what is normal for God's people. Those who've been 
freed from exile? Have you been freed from exile? Has God saved you by Jesus Christ? As if he's freed you, this is a normal thing for you. The first is this. It says, enlarge the place of your tent. Enlarge the place where your tent, by the way, is located. Increase, in other words, the expanse of your location. Why? Why would we do this? Why is God calling people to do this? Why is God calling His people to do this? To add to the expansiveness of of where you can be. uh, Of what you can touch. Of who you can touch. Influence and impact. Where you can minister. Have you a vision? Let me ask you, have you a vision for expansive impact that grows out of your life, that grows out of our life as a church? Have you this vision? God is calling us not to consider, by the way, four striking imperatives. This is not for our consideration. This is a command of God. Enlarge the place of your tent. Now, the picture, of course, is the, is the, uh, the tabernacle that was movable of God's people, and, and it had a certain size to it, and God's people would worship there. He's telling them, now, you need to move the size. You need to expand the size of the location. You need to be able to influence and impact a greater call, a, a greater stretch into the world is what he's talking about here. Set farther boundaries. Look further. Ask yourselves the question, where is Christ not being worshipped? This is our Father's world. So he's saying to us, Calvary, make plans to increase beyond your present influence. Location, impact, reach. The first call is for a larger footprint. This is normal. Not extraordinary among God's people. The second imperative. We won't take a long time. These are very obvious, very simple. Lengthen the curtains. Why? If you're going to increase the expanse of your influence, you're going to cause a a greater footprint. He's talking about stretching the curtains. Make the curtains bigger. Why? So that more People can fit into the place of worship, the place where God's people come and praise Him and, 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 and speak forth of the greatness of God. He wants us to fit more people into the enterprise, more doors of entry. Some of you are saying, wait, wait a second, you know what? I, what is he talking about? It's time for us to build a bigger church? Some of you may be checking out already. I don't know. Not necessarily. This is not talking about bricks and mortar. This is not talking about bricks and mortar. It's an imagery of bricks and mortar. It's an imagery of tents and things so we can understand. This is talking about reach. This is talking about influence. This is talking about impact. More doors of entry. You know what a door of entry into a church is? It may be a program. It may be a a ministry. It may be a mission. It may be something we do. You have certain doors of entry where people find contact with you. They find some interest in 
who you are or what you're doing or what you're offering or what you're saying. Make the curtains wider. He's talking about more doors of entry that you may be more expansive in your reach to serve a greater multitude, a way for more people to to access the benefits of the mission of Jesus Christ, the ministry of Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. The question is, therefore, how can Calvary be bigger? Not necessarily get bigger, but be bigger. How can Calvary make room for more? What will it take to make God's family bigger in this region? That's the question that's being put before us in the imperative, make your capacity larger. And then he says, lengthen your courts. Make your cords longer. Now, it's a picture of a tent. I, I don't do the tenting thing. I understand John and Laurie did the tenting thing, this sabbatical. So he knows about cords, lengthening the cords of the tent, I think, I assume. What, what tents, have, uh, tents have cords. They have rope that, that keeps them from flying away because the tent is not, doesn't have a foundation. And I think if you don't have cords on the tent, when the wind blows, it'll... It'll just blow away. And, uh, and so we, you, the picture here is, of course, of these cords. But, he, but he's not just simply saying that you need to have cords. He's saying you've got to make the cords longer. Now, why is he saying that? Is that simply to reach out further? Maybe, because he talks about in verse 3, you need to spread out to the right and spread out to the left. And presumably, the, the, the tabernacle or the tent of the tabernacle itself was facing north-south. So that ex, it was expected that they would go north and they would, they would go south. So, so maybe it's, it's, it's for further reach. But I'm wondering if, it, if it's maybe about more cord to hold on to more enterprise. Because that's what it says here. You see, if you expand your influence and your reach, but you don't increase the size of your cords, they're going to get stretched to breaking point. You need bigger cords. You know where the picture comes into my mind? It's like last year at Pomoja, our, our kickoff. You need more people serving. You need more hands on deck. The picture for me is, is, is of hands holding Holding more hands, holding more hands, holding each other's hands. Lengthening it, serving, more serving. More people stepping forward and saying, yes, I I care about the enterprise of God. I I care about the fact that God is is known throughout the world, and that Jesus Christ is worshipped and honored. I care about the fact that people don't know Jesus and are lost and are dying and are going to hell. I care about that, so count me in. Give me a piece of the card. That's what I see here. That's the imperative I see God calling you to, me to. More hands in a link to hold more tent. See, you can't go with God and stay where you are in numbers of those serving the adventure. Can't stay the same. So are you holding on somewhere? Are you, are you, a, are you part of the cord? You've got to be part of the cord. The cord's got to get longer or it's going to get tighter. And if it gets tighter, something's going to snap. I don't want Pastor Kelvin to snap. Amen. No one ever wants to see Pastor Kelvin snap. Make your hold longer. The fourth and final imperative here is to strengthen your stakes. See, if you have a bigger tent, a bigger reach... 
a bigger impact, a bigger influence. You get, presumably have more people worshiping our great God together. We have less places in the, in the region that are, are, are satanic holds and, and more places than centers for Christ's worship. If you have more of that and you have all kinds of longer courts, you have to have really good pegs. You have to have really good stakes to drive into the ground deeper because the wind blows on a big tent. The impact is huge. So you have to be anchored deep. The picture I get in my mind of the stakes, the pegs, is the idea of expanding your potential for greater responsibility means that you've you got to find a way to strengthen the work of your leadership. You, you have to find a way to be devoted to finding, preparing, resourcing the best leaders possible. they got to be anchoring that thing. they got to hold that thing stable. It, it can't move when the wind blows. The cords are longer. you got to have better stakes. Let me just say that our country has been on a, um, a visionary direction to become as secular as possible. Would you agree? I mean, I think, I think that's what, what the whole West, the, the, the ethos of the West is the ideal state for people would be secular. And if we could get to, every, to, to everyone being secular, we would get to a place where there would be a complete tolerance and everything would be fine and we'd all be okay. There's one problem with that. Secular is never the end game. It's never the end result. And there's a reason for that. Because human beings will never stay at secular. Secular is a staging ground for what's next. The reason for that is because we were all created in the image of God. And God is spirit. We are, human beings are spiritual by nature. Secular doesn't work. It doesn't fit. People do not, will never settle for secular. They will always look for what's Beyond secular. It's always a stepping ground. It's always a staging for what's next. And if we have a secular community, a secular country, we have a spiritual vacuum. And in the, in the, in the state of a spiritual vacuum, spiritual people, I'm not talking about Christians, everybody's spiritual, spiritual will look for spiritual. We need to understand that this is a time of immense and great opportunity. The time of secular is the time of staging to the spiritual. Now the question is, which spiritual is going to get the people? You see, they'll either turn to new age and occult. They'll turn to Buddhism. They'll turn to Hinduism. They'll turn to Islam. That's why we have an, an Islamic center on Highway 2 in Curtis. Because if the church doesn't expand its vision and ministry, Islam will. Because our society will never settle on secular. It will always stage itself to the next spiritual setting. I'm just believing that God is calling us as his people 
to take advantage of this moment and impact and influence. And he says in the text here, do not hold back. Do not hold back. Right in the center of these imperatives. Do not hold back. In other words, don't be timid. Don't be small thinking. Don't be sparse in your efforts. Do not retrench. This is not the time to move back. This is not the time to give over to the Buddhists and the Hindus and the the Muslims. This is not time to give over to the New Agers and the occultists. This is not the time to give over to the cults. This is a time for God's people to enlarge their tent, to stretch the tent curtains, to, to strengthen, lengthen the cords, and to strengthen the stakes. Plan to burst forth, God says, in all directions. You know, they say that the church is, uh, is shrinking, is, is dying in North America. It's not shrinking and dying in North America. It's shrinking and dying in some churches. But I believe with all of my heart that the church that embraces this kind of passion will not be shrinking, will not be retrenching. I believe that God tells us don't fear. You can't do too much to house the promised increase. Jesus said, I will build my church. That's what Jesus said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Churches that are growing embrace and prepare for the promised increase that God is telling them they will have. That's what I believe. Do not fear, he says. Redemption has been accomplished. God, therefore, has targeted a guaranteed increase. He knows how much space and energy will be needed to minister to the guaranteed harvest. And I believe that that guaranteed harvest belongs to the church, a church like ours, Calvary Baptist Church, that says, we will. We will increase our footprint We will increase the size of our curtains. We will lengthen our cords. We will strengthen our stakes, Lord, because you know about the increase, and we're going to prepare ourselves. We're going to sing and shout for joy and sing and prepare because you know about the increase, and you know what you want to do, and we want to be the people who house the harvest, I think. Whoever builds a mission or a ministry big enough for God's plans will get the assignment. I have more to say, but the time is is encroaching upon us. I just want to point out to you that when you tremble a little bit, when you're anxious a little bit, and God anticipated that, He said to us in verse 5, I want you to know what your credentials are. I want you to know about your resources. I want you to know about your power. Because our God is a God of immense power and grace and is able and willing to do this. Your children will become missionaries. Your church is going to be vigorous in a missionary endeavor. You'll chase Satan out of formerly held strongholds and they'll become centers for Christ worship. You'll repopulate pagan places with people of God. Church on Tap was a tremendous illustration of that. A place that normally worships Satan indirectly, but directly, turns into a place of worship. Outsiders will be adopted into the family of God because your God of immense power and grace is able and willing. He remains the husband of the bride. He loves you. 
Your maker is this husband. He is sovereign. He made you. He made the church to succeed. I will build my church. He's the Lord Almighty. He's the the Lord of hosts. It's all in verse 5. It's all wrapped up there in a power pack. The Holy One of Israel is your purchaser. He's the one who's purchased you out. Clean up for his sake. Thank him for ransoming you. The God of all the earth. You know, people say, this stuff doesn't work in Canada. What you're talking about, it doesn't work in Canada. This only works south of the border. We've been telling ourselves that for way too long. What are we thinking? Is he the God only of south of the border? He says here he's the God of all the world. When he tells you in Canada to enlarge your footprint, to enlarge your tent, to, to lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, he'll say, oh, I forgot. It's a Canadian church. No, he's the God of all. He says, does he not say this? Am I, am I making this up? He is called the God of all the earth. Am I making this up? No, I'm not making this up. Have you lost some people along the way, parents? Have you lost some kids along the way? You know what he says? The Lord will call you back. The Lord's going to call them back. I, I, those who've chased after other gods, he will call back. I, I really think as we wind this up that we are in the right place and the right time to take up this challenge to hear his call. A call that I believe is going out to all of God's people, but only some have ears to hear. I want you to look at the video. Some of you have seen it before, and I just want you you to consider what God is saying in your heart. Listen for his call. Would you listen? Would you listen for his call? I put it to our pastoral staff. If you could ask God for something big for Calvary, what would the big things be? I just want to share with you what they said. The discipline of weekly corporate worship for all Calvary people. That we would start every week with God at the front of the line. Not some Sundays, but every Sunday. First day, first of the day. They would have eyes to see the unusual, the non-traditional ways God is working and be there. To investigate the possibility of a living hope center for rescuing people from the sex trade industry in Oshawa. No government funding, so it has no strings attached. To turn a vacant, discarded, yet-to-be-developed property into a regional youth ministry to inspire future hope. A massive impact for Christ at UIT. A cafe drop-in gathering place at the UIT South Campus downtown. That God would get our first fruits and not leftovers. That God would grip the hearts of and Calvary would go after those who have gone away from the Lord. You cannot go with God and stay where you are. The Apostle Paul, in Acts chapter 18, verse 9 and 10, spoke forth from the heart of God and said to the people there, Do not be afraid, keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So until we have reached as far as there is to reach, the job in our region 
is not yet done, but will be a complete success. Jesus said, follow me. I believe we have to find out where God is working and meet him there. That's what it means to follow. You cannot go with God and stay where you are. Here's what we're going to do. Based on the text, it says that we should sing and shout for joy. I'm going to call our musicians and our choir to come forth. And let's, as a congregation, conclude our service by anticipating what God is going to do. He has promised. Let's anticipate a, a, an enlarging of the footprint, a, an enlarging of the influence and impact of the ministry, a, a, an, an anticipation of lengthening the cords and strengthening the stakes. And so we're going to sing with all of our hearts. And after we've sung with all of our hearts, in anticipation, we're going to, we're going to take a step of action. And that step of action is a really small step, but it's a really important step. It's a step of of affirmation, a step of you affirming that this message is resonating with your heart and is speaking to you. Immediately following our singing, out on the parking lot, out on the the front grass berm, we are going to be erecting some signs whereby we are going to tell our region, the people outside of Christ, that, that God cares about them and and he, he wants them to come to him. And, and we're a place that, that, that cares about that. And we want to get that message out to them. And we want them, to, as they drive by the intersection of Ritson and Roslyn, to get that message day in and day out, 24-7. And we want you to affirm that this matters to you and that this is your heartbeat and that you want to be involved in this and that, that you have a passion and a heart for this. And, and so we're going to invite you to... Half of you go this way in the congregation after we sing, and half of you go the front ways. We'll go out to the front exits here, the fire exits, and we're going to go out there, and, and there's frames on these big banners we have, and we want you to sign several names that God has placed in your heart that you think need to be influenced and impacted for Christ. You'll, you'll commit to those people, and that as a congregation, don't write on the banner, because you can see through the banner if you write on it. We want the people to see the message and not their names. Write on the frame of the banners. And we just want to have a great time of God's people affirming the message of God. These are four imperatives. Do this, he says. And we're going to sing, Steve, with uh, great passion and and we're going to fire it up with, uh, with our hearts because we're going to sing believing that God is going to do what he promises. So let's stand as we do that. And then, Pastor Steve, um, I'm going to pray at the end of this song. And when I pray, as soon as I pray, I just want whoever is in charge to open up these doors. So open up the doors and come by and grab a Sharpie here. There's all kinds of pens here. And you can go out there and sign on the frame. And then our deacons are going to put these things up. And we got cords. We're going to lengthen the cords. And we're going to drive in stakes. So let's do it. Our Father and our God, we have sung and we have shouted and we have sung for joy. Because we anticipate the fulfillment of your promise. That we will reach out to the left and to the right and to the front and to the back. We will expand our footprint and we will expand the size that will contain those of God's people who you are calling to yourself. That our cords will lengthen because more of God's people will 
will join hands together and make this happen, and that you will strengthen our stakes, and that God's people will make it possible for God's leaders to be strong and, and capable and able leaders, because you are a powerful and capable and able and willing God, and this is your desire. Father, we offer this as our first fruits of our faith, that you are doing a powerful and a mighty work in our midst and throughout this region because of this people. So, Father, go with us now, and may we affirm what you are calling us to do. May we commit ourselves to this, and may we see and experience the great things of God in these coming days, I pray, because our Lord Jesus Christ is building his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. And we thank you, Father, that we are part of that amazing enterprise of expanding the kingdom of God in this day, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.